ignorant in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast, and thank you so much for being here today. It's Tuesday, 12 Eastern. I'm seeing in the chat some newbies there, not familiar. We are every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, noon Eastern on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. Uh, or if you want to listen to the audio later on, you can listen on any of the uh, the podcasting services, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart. We're all there. American Radicals Podcast. I'm in the pilot seat today, solo, uh, at real Steve Friend is the social. Uh, Steve Friend here, FBI whistleblower. I'm a solo because my counterpart, Garrett O'Boyle, is actually in Washington, D.C., District 1 today. Uh, but don't worry, he's not in the gulag. He's actually at the January 6th movie premiere, the, uh, the preview that we showed you during the last show. He's there. Uh, they're going to be showing it to some select people at the uh, U.S. Senate tonight. So uh, Garrett's going to be doing that, and he'll be back with us on Thursday when we're going to be doing an interview with Miss Natalie Winters. So we have that uh, on the horizon for us today. Uh, I'm here, and uh, the show's title today, I'm going to try to link a couple of different things which on their face look like they're not necessarily connected, but I think that there's a plumb line there that we can dig into, uh, and the show is called Resolutionary Thinking. A little double entendre there, and we will get into that in a second, uh, but I really want to spend a lion's share of the time on the content today. want to make sure we knock out uh, our sponsor first right off the bat, and then we'll get to it. So let's bring up my pillow 2.0 is available folks if uh, you were so inclined i would encourage all of you to go to the my pillow store uh, they are still having a blowout sale right now in the post christmas era you can get your clothes you can get sheets pillows mattresses you can even get uh dog beds which will probably help us out in the real steve friend household i've got two older dogs and they're now pushing each other around because they like the one comfy bed. So I think we're going to have to probably double up on the supply here in the very near future. So if you go to the MyPillow website, take advantage of the promo code that we have on the AMRAD podcast. Very simple, AMRAD, A-M-R-A-D. So that being said, want to get into the show topic today. So resolutionary thinking. We're in January. I don't know uh, if any of you in the chat are uh, inclined to have the New Year's resolutions. I'm not really a resolution guy. I do appreciate, though, the the efforts to go about trying to go to some sort of self-improvement. Uh, and if you are on the chat with us on Rumble and you're doing something, I want you to throw it up there because the, the community is definitely wants to be there to support you. Uh, and we're going to get to some potential resolutions that we need to seek, especially from the medical freedom perspective in this country uh, in the latter half of the show. But where I want to actually uh, zero in on at the start is something that normally is reserved for about six months from now. Uh, and that is a recognition of the, the Declaration of Independence, July 4th. Uh, and uh, to prompt the conversation, I'm going to bring up a video. This is uh, something that I've actually told uh, and I've said numerous times uh, to executives in the FBI, to uh, to people when I speak, I'm sorry, but not sorry for this. Every July 4th, I read the declaration out loud in our friend household to my little ones. Uh, and they're now getting to the age where maybe they can appreciate it a little bit more. And hopefully that interest will grow. I'm big on indoctrinating my kids to love the country. Uh, but I also recognize a good production value when I find it, which is why recently 
uh, actually last July, found this video on YouTube. It's a reading of the Declaration. I'm not going to play it all the way through. It's about a 10-minute video, uh, but I do want to start the conversation off. We'll just play it for a minute here. Uh, and, uh, and if you are so inclined to go out later and, and listen to the whole thing, I would highly encourage you to do that. Let's, uh, let's start the conversation off right now. In Congress, July 4, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. All right, we'll pause it there. Which will impel them to the separation is something that I think is going to be very necessary for us to get into today. Um, but go back to that. Uh, man, the production value is there. It's that Hans Zimmer music from uh, The Thin Red Line. I think it was also in the movie preview for Pearl Harbor. Excellent voiceover. Uh, if you want to actually get yourself pumped up, I uh, highly encourage you to go and, and watch that version on the YouTube while it's still there until they take it down, folks. Uh, and certainly make sure you learn cursive because if you're reading it uh, to today's youth, they might not actually know what that says, which is another whole other issue. Uh, but what I want to zero in on is the, the, the actual nature of what the Declaration of Independence actually was in essence, and that is a breakup letter. It is the greatest breakup letter. It's the greatest breakup in the history of the world. I mean, you can think about any other scenario. Uh, you know, guys working all day, comes home, wife took the dog, took his belongings, and is gone. Everybody's playing for a second on the Declaration of Independence. Tom, Thomas Jefferson, the author, really, uh, really, really set the standard with that one. Um, and there, we didn't actually have it in the uh, in the audio version that I played there, uh, but there's one line here that I uh, portion where he wrote, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable. And that's in the very early uh, preamble of the Declaration of Independence. And what does that mean? And I love that particular portion because that is my love language. This is the founding fathers recognizing the problem that I am zeroing in on and I am highlighting and spotlighting at every available opportunity. And that is the fact that even way back in the old days, people really didn't like to be uncomfortable and they will suffer things. They will endure things what they know are wrong as long as they are just not too bad. As long as they don't rock the boat too much, even though I know you're violating my rights or you're inconveniencing me in some way or you're persecuting me in some fashion, I'm willing to put up with it because I just don't want to have to deal with it. I want to stay comfortable. Uh, and that was Thomas Jefferson and the other founders' purpose with this document where they were writing the reasons for why they wanted to break up with the crown. They were essentially committing insurrection. They didn't want to leave. They wanted to remain as good Englishmen. But uh, circumstances as they were, they had tried and tried and just had not been able to resolve the issue. The resolutions weren't there, so it necessitated a revolution. Why do I bring this up today? Well, I went through the Declaration uh, because 
that's just my nature. Real Steve Friend is a nerd at heart, proud of it, comfortable in my own skin enough to admit it. Uh, so I went through it and went through the various usurpations that the founders listed. And these were the violations that they deemed to be uh, wholly inappropriate that necessitated them to break away from the crown and form their own country. And then I started to draw some parallels to what we're experiencing today. And I, I want to highlight some of those to see if, are we at a point now where a resolution is possible? Uh, are, are we suffering things that are far more than our founders suffered? Uh, and and there's some really egregious examples that we've had in the relatively recent history that I think I would like to zero in on and, and really hammer home that our founders formed an entirely different country when they were suffering things that were very similar to us. Uh, so the question is, what are we going to do? Are we're, we certainly should make every available effort to resolve the problems that we're having. We don't. We want to do everything necessary to avoid. Uh, armed conflict or any sort of revolution. Uh, but I do think we have to recognize the problems that are at hand, uh, which is why I wanted to list a few of them here. And I will cite what was written in the declaration and then come up with some of the examples that we're seeing today. First one, he has refused his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. Well, immediately when I read that, I think about the federal government's ep uh, efforts to forbid the states from passing laws that forbid transgender surgery and treatment. And we saw a couple examples recently emerge where there's actually going to be efforts to harm the states and harm local authorities that are seeking to do that. Uh, and I'll, uh, I brought some receipts here for you. Indiana, my home state, recently passed a law at the state legislature that banned biological males from competing against girls in high school and elementary sports because obviously biological males have some physical traits that would give them an advantage in sports over girls. The education department, your department, uh, proposed a rule change that would pull federal funding from schools that don't allow biological males to compete against girls, girls uh, in sports, Mr. Secretary, yes or no? Do, does that mean that your that your department would take away school lunch programs for needy kids because a state or a school won't allow a boy to compete against a girl in the sports? So, uh, going back to the civics, if I could. Uh, no, no, I, I'm are, asking you a question. Are you are do you support taking away school lunches from kids who go to schools where boys aren't allowed to play on girls' sports teams. We are promoting a, the most rigorous, intensive academic programming under the Raise the Bar. I would love to share more Do information. Do you support taking away a school lunch from a needy kid, a kid who might, it might be the only warm meal they get every single day because that school won't allow a boy to compete on a girls' sports team? I'm proud of the work we're doing. It's a yes make, or no question, Mr. Secretary. I'm proud of the work we're doing to make sure that all students Madam feel Chair, safe the in answer, school. The answer is yes. This administration would take away school lunches from kids who need that lunch, maybe the only warm meal that might, they might ever get because of the radical agenda of, of this administration. I well, that's a congressman who's pointing out something there that uh, is a problem. I, uh, it's definitely an effort on behalf of the federal government to stop states, which have quite a bit of autonomy when it comes to their education programs. I, I believe if you look through the the state budgets around the country of all 50 states, I, almost every one of them, the, the, the largest budgetary issue that they have is actually education. 
So that's a significant portion of the state's responsibility, the state funding, the state focus, what got people to the polls in Virginia when Glenn Youngkin was running for governor. It were, was parents who were unhappy with what they were seeing being taught to their kids. So this is a, a local and a state issue that the, the federal government is going to take great lengths to prevent autonomy at the state level. And to to even further this this point here, and it's not just one crazy Indiana congressman pointing it out. This is actually a, a news story that was reported on the Fox News digital channel a little ways back. But we'll give this a play here, uh, and it gives a little more detail, a little, little more color to what was being pointed out to, uh, to the Secretary of Education, Cordona, who, contrary to popular belief uh, on his point, uh, being from the federal government, you're here to help. Uh, obviously is not the case with Miguel Cardona. Uh, let's give this a play from Fox News Digital. For the federal government to come in and really tie school nutrition and school lunch programs to this radical ideology is, is terrifying and it's appalling. The changes that the, the Biden administration is making to the, the school lunch program um, which essentially amounts to the Biden administration holding states and local school districts hostage with school lunch money that goes to, you know, underprivileged youth in order to pass transgender non-discrimination policies, as they call them. And, you know, this means that if a school does not create a policy that allows biological boys to use a girl's bathroom or locker room or facilities and vice versa, then they would have their funding pulled for this school lunch program. All right. So rehashing a little bit of what was pointed out in the congressional hearing there, uh, but the news source doing it, they've done a little bit of homework. They've actually done a production on that. They put quite a bit of investment and time into it. So I think it's it's a pretty legitimate usurpation. An example uh, of what uh, his refusing his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good, at least from the perspective of the states. The states are doing what they believe is wholesome and good for their own people. Move to a, another usurpation. Quoting from the Declaration. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. I immediately thought of the southern border and the illegal immigration issue that we are forcing we were forced to confront with under the, the Biden administration. Uh, I read recently that there were known 300 illegal crossings in December. Uh, and that's who we know about, 300,000 illegal crossings. For the entire calendar year 2023, the Biden administration actually deported 150,000. And that's all 12 months. But in one month, we 2x that of known illegal crossings. And the federal government loves to say that it's responsible for protecting the southern border. And obviously, that's what it's constitutionally mandated to do. But if they're failing to do that, if states take it upon themselves to protect their border, to exert their autonomy and their power to protect their citizens, uh, I, I think that they're, in, they're on good standard footing to do that. But that's not what the Biden administration feels, which is uh, why I want to bring up another story here. And this is from CBS. And uh, this is a few days old, and there's actually been an update to it. The Biden administration warns Texas it will sue if state implements strict immigration law. Uh, and like I said, it's a little bit dated, and uh, the Biden administration actually has at this point filed a lawsuit against the state of Texas, against the governor of Texas, 
but reading from this story, the Biden administration warned Texas that it will sue the state if it implements a strict immigration law known as SB4 that would empower the state and local law enforcement officials to arrest, jail, and prosecute migrants suspected of entering the U.S. unlawfully. I use migrants because that was actually in the, the story, wanted to quote them directly, uh, but I am loath to use the language of the left, to use the language of the media. They are illegal aliens, illegal aliens, and uh, I will hammer that continually. Uh, but this is an example of the federal government has is, is shirking its actually constitutionally mandated responsibilities and not doing it forces the hand of the states. The states take it upon themselves, 10th Amendment. And then now the federal government is preventing them from actually exerting their uh, constitutionally allowable rights and constitutionally allowable authorities to protect their own sovereign borders. Uh, they're essentially in Texas passing a law saying, we want to help you federal government do your job. And the federal government says, we don't want to do our job. And we're actually going to sue and prevent you from actually trying to help us do our job because we don't want to do our job. Uh, go to another usurpation here. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. Is anybody thinking about the 87,000 IRS agents that were passed during the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that the Republicans ran on in 2022, claiming right away that they would do whatever necessary to stop that from happening? Uh, it's a little bit of a manipulation, I think, from both parties when I, I looked at actually the facts and circumstances surrounding it. I don't believe there's 87,000 people who could qualify as a special agent for the IRS. I mean, there's only 14,000 people who qualify as an FBI agent. And these people theoretically are gonna have very specific training. They're gonna have an accounting degree, some particular experience. It's actually more broad to be an FBI agent or a DEA agent, ATF agent. Uh, it's a, a larger areas of uh, lanes that you can qualify. You need to have some, some tax experience to be an IRS agent. But this is where I think the game is. They put the number out there, 87,000. It's basically three steps forward and, and one step back. And then the Republicans push back. Uh, and then while they allow more funding, the 20% extra funding to the IRS, uh, they then pair that back. And it's only going to be a few thousand IRS agents. But to go back to the usurpation, they're definitely sending out multitudes. I think a few thousand IRS agents would qualify as multitudes of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. So definitely federal income tax is uh, eating out all of our substance. We're in that time of year. We're trying to get the W-2s ready, the, the 1099s. Get, get your get your tax accountant on the horn. Uh, I know that I feel no more patriotic than on April 15th when I send the government uh, my money. Uh, but I want to read a, a, one story about this uh, to, to give just highlight a little bit more. to, And this is a, a story about the Inflation Reduction Act from the, uh, the Peter G. Peterson Foundation. The Inflation Reduction Act, which became law in August of 2022, so just before the midterm elections, includes a provision that increased the budget for the IRS by $80 billion over 10 years, while a small portion of that additional funding was rescinded through the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Again, three steps forward, one step back. The Biden administration and many other observers argued that increased funding for the Internal Revenue Service will enhance tax enforcement efforts, which would help narrow the tax gap. The Biden administration is essentially contending that uh, there's a lot of tax evasion going on out there. We need more IRS agents to 
identify that to bring those funds in and paying them will actually will net us more money. Uh, but uh, the fact that we are now hiring double the amount of federal employees that we were only a year ago, I, I don't think any sort of gains there. I would rather just not hire the employees if you're going to be using my tax dollars to do it. But similarly, along with this additional officers to harass uh, to harass the citizenry, harass the masses, eat out their substance. Um, IRS was definitely a hot button election issue, but I would argue and contend that a far greater threat to our way of life uh, was the vaccine mandates that came through the Department of Labor and OSHA. When President Biden mandated that, uh, companies over 100 employees were going to have to essentially require their employee, employees to become vaccinated or they would be out of compliance with federal law. And definitely if, if the companies were willing to fire you, I would think that would eat out your substance. It would deprive you of your ability to earn a living, to feed your family and support yourself. Uh, and we'll, we'll pull up the, we'll go way, way back down the memory hole here, back all the way back to 2021 when President Biden addressed the nation in regard to the, the COVID vaccine mandate that he was going to be implementing. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you, the people you work with, the people you care about, the people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. Some of the biggest companies are already requiring this. United Airlines, Disney, Tyson's Food, and even Fox News. My message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. I'm so sorry to put all of you through that. I see you in the chat. You're very unhappy with having to listen to our dear leader, uh, Joseph Robinette Biden, as he addressed the nation. Uh, they clearly jacked him up on a whole bunch of drugs to get him uh, to be able to speak for an extended period of time. You could see his eyes dilated. Pupils were the size of pins there. Uh, but he was actually pulling back the, the veil on how he really feels about the American people. Our, our patience is growing thin your precious freedoms. And you know, when he leans forward and he does the weird creepy whisper that he's very, very serious. Um, but certainly the, the president of the United States was prepared to deprive the American people who he says he's responsible for protecting as president. He was prepared to deprive you of the ability to earn an income to support your family if you were unwilling to take an experimental vaccine that would theoretically, I guess, not do anything to prevent you from getting a chest cold that had a 99.5% survivability rate for people who did not have pre-existing conditions of all age demographics. Can you tell that the COVID vaccine and then the COVID response is something that really uh, gets me fired up? Uh, 
but I think that that was certainly the the worst and more egregious example of uh, of a usurpation in which we are sending out officers to harass people, be they from the IRS or the Department of Labor, or we're just going to deputize private industry to influence uh, influence you and eat out your substance. We'll move on to another usurpation. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. Now, this was an issue that has been uh, recently debated by various members of Congress. Uh, there was there a lot of fact checking they went on about it, and it was the alleged uh, the United States was going to be committing itself to the World Health Organization to some sort of uh, pandemic treaty and put us under the control of a global entity. Um, and there was a lot of contention back and forth. I'll play this, this one line of questioning here from a congressman uh, regarding that to Secretary of State, and then uh, we'll dig into it a little bit. The zero draft WHO pandemic treaty that the administration and others are pushing to uh, uh, get put, put into effect uh, at the WHO uh, starts off with a harsh criticism of the United States and the international community by calling it a catastrophic failure of international of the community in showing solidarity and equity in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I've read the treaty. I'm concerned about it. Article 4 pays lip service to sovereignty and that has language that says, however, activities within their jurisdiction or control do not cause damage uh, to their peoples and countries, so therefore WHO would be empowered to step in. And we're talking about Tedros, a man who's been put into that position uh, by the People's Republic of China. He was their candidate and obviously showed terrible, terrible judgment in the beginning and even to <coughs> this day uh, in recognizing the origins of the WH of the uh, of COVID-19. Article 10 says uh, that 20 percent the United States would be obligated to provide 20% of our medical supplies, including tests, antiviral vaccines, medications, and the like, uh, to WHO. For them, they, they just say, we want it. You have to give it by treaty obligation. Uh, the sovereignty issue is the biggest, in my opinion. Uh, you're pushing for it. Next year is probably when it may get adopted. Will it be sent to the Senate for ratification? Or are you planning on using the executive agreement, which I think is a terrible way to do things? It ought to go to the Senate for ratification. All right. So this is a quite lot of questioning to Secretary Blinken and Secretary of State. Uh, and this is this pandemic treaty that was being put out by the World Health Organization, which has uh, is being influenced tremendously by the Chinese government. Uh, and it was not just a sovereignty issue, but as, as the congressman highlighted there, there is going to be demands that we surrender as a country 20% of our medical supplies to the rest of the world. Uh, certainly not a, an America first type of, uh, of agreement. Uh, and, and like I said before, there, there was a lot of pushback. They, there was, we we're going to debunk. This wasn't going to give up the United States sovereignty. This treaty is just a treaty in name only. It's really just more of an agreement, but now we're playing word games. Uh, but I, I, I can even come off of this if, if you don't think that it's a legitimate concern. I, I certainly do. Uh, how about the United States obligation to something like NATO and how they can invoke an Article 5 to put uh, our troops, our, our sons and daughters in uniform on the ground to engage in a hot conflict that doesn't actually penetrate into our shores or even threaten us. Uh, so certainly 
the this is not unique to the Biden administration. This is something that the United States has agreed to uh, and, and would put us under the flag of an international body. Uh, the United Nations has its headquarters in New York City and is continually trying to draw us into to more agreements uh, that would be operating outside of our constitutionally elected representation that goes on in Washington, D.C. Always a push to expand, to globalize, and then really take away autonomy of, of the average citizenry and the, and, the, and the state. It's called the United States of America. States are supposed to have far more autonomy than they presently do, uh, which is what uh, I'm trying to highlight here with many of these usurpations that were originally drafted in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and before we get to the next one, do want to make sure we remind every fo folks in the chat, uh, you have to resubscribe if you were a subscriber to the AMRAD podcast, the American Radicals podcast. Uh, Rumble did an awesome job. They migrated the channel over to my control from Kyle Serafin, who originally set it up. But in doing that, we lost the subscribers. So you just got to resubscribe and it'll come on. Uh, and while you're there and joining us on Rumble uh, every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday at 12 Eastern, be sure to give us a like and a follow. Uh, if you are tracking with us later on on the audio, Subscribe so it gets automatically downloaded to you. Give us the five-star reviews. It definitely helps us as we're continuing to grow here. Channel is on the uh, the upward trajectory. We're trying to reach as many voices as we can. Uh, we got quite a bit of traction actually on on the uh, on the X on the formerly Twitter accounts, which where it streams on my account at Real Steve Friend on the show's account at amradpod and on garrett's at gob actual so you can watch it there but it's way more fun here on rumble come on over pop it over and join the chat uh as we are digging into the various usurpations that we've witnessed compared to uh as was being documented in the 1700s by thomas jefferson in our declaration of independence and this one uh i'm gonna have to to do some some shameless self-promotion the usurpation is for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us. Uh, it's definitely a reference to quartering of soldiers. Uh, we have a whole constitutional amendment about that. The third amendment, sort of the forgotten amendment. Everybody wants to talk about how they wanna exercise their first amendment, right to speak and worship and redress their grievances and petition and protest. And then we get into the second amendment, which you have a first amendment because the second amendment's there to protect yourself against the government. It's not about hunting. It's not about stopping home invaders. It's about stopping the government from shooting you in the face, which is why we need it. Uh, and then we move on right away. We don't want FISA 702 to spy on us, violating the fourth amendment. We definitely don't want to incriminate ourselves in violation of the fifth amendment. And what we're seeing go on all too often now in the federal government's hands is cruel and unusual punishment in light of the eighth amendment. And uh, as I've been harping on here, the state rights issues, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment are constantly being violated by our federal government. But nobody wants to talk about quartering soldiers, which is kind of this, I don't know, old and dusty reference. There's no redcoats in our houses. Well, this is a, a story I wrote several months ago. A friend of the show, Tracy Beans, published it on Uncover DC. Uh, and I just want to read a little excerpt. It's, it's sort of a my read into how there might actually be a quartering of soldiers violation going on. Uh, one little excerpt. Now, consider everyday technologies and average Americans' habits. A recent survey found that over 120 million Americans use voice assistant software such as Alexa and Siri. Furthermore, a 2021 study by Pew Research revealed that almost three quarters of Americans use some type of social media. Well, recalling history, one of the motivations behind the British quartering of soldiers in American households during the Revolutionary War was to gain intelligence. 
what is the difference between a human being eavesdropping in a private conversations and an employee at Facebook or Twitter monitoring private messages? And this is where we get into the federal deputization and the collusion between the federal government and social media companies. I think you have a third amendment argument here. I might be wrong, might be uh, stretching a little bit too far, but I definitely think it's worth the conversation here. Uh, one more excerpt. If the contents of a private Facebook conversation carried out via a cell phone app end up in the hands of the FBI without due process, is that any different than an enemy soldier listening to a private chat between a husband and a wife through the adjoining wall of a guest room? Obviously a, a reference there to a, a soldier being quartered in your house and you forcing to take care of them, feed and house them. Uh, you have the cell phone laid down at your head at nighttime charging. If it's listening to your conversations uh, and then those conversations are being relayed to the federal government without any sort of due process, I think it could be a quartering of soldiers violation. Go to another usurpation for imposing taxes on us without our consent. Uh, we touched down on and covered down on the IRS. Uh, I do think, though, that a, a more appropriate reference here is going to be the inflation that we're all experiencing. Uh, that is definitely a tax that the government puts on its people to finance its own extraordinary expenditures that have gone on. Uh, I actually, just for the heck of it, pulled up a uh, an inflation calculator and one dollar in eighteen hundred in the year eighteen hundred, so two and a quarter centuries ago, is now worth twenty five dollars and thirteen cents today, which would be uh, a price increase of two thousand four hundred and thirteen percent just staggering absolutely staggering especially when you figure the fact that you know in in a society as we currently have you would think that more efficiency is going to create lower prices better best practices are going to be achieved where we should actually theoretically have, be paying less than we are uh, if we are indeed progressing and improving our technology and improving the way we go about production um, and a uh, further expand on that. This was a story uh, from CNN. So apologize in advance. I read it so you don't have to folks. But uh, this is a CNN article about the interest payments on the nation's debt are soaring, adding pressure to Congress's spending battle. Um, and this was uh, from last November. So just a few months ago, uh, as, a as regards to the uh, to the inflation we're experiencing, uh, and, and the interest rates that are, that are being propped up by the Fed, uh, the actual price of the borrowing that the federal government has done, which is now in excess of $34 trillion, it's getting more expensive. They have a higher interest rate to pay, uh, which is going to cost us all. Uh, and it reads here that an interest costs soared to $659 billion in 2023. Does anybody else remember the, the Obama administration passing a stimulus bill of $787 billion and how we were all outraged by that? This is getting to that level, and uh, it was just the interest on the debt, nothing to actually push the government forward, no operations. We weren't buying any guns or butter. We were just paying for the right to, to have borrowed money we already borrowed and spent. Interest payments now rank fourth in spending behind Social Security, Medicare, and defense, uh, and it's actually on track to surpass defense. We will be paying more in interest in the very near future uh, than we do to secure our borders, than we do to pay uh, for our military, which is to me a national security threat that the federal government has put us in that in that pickle, put us in that bind, uh, and as a result of that, we are all paying 
higher prices. It's essentially a tax on us uh, in, in name, in not, not necessarily, you don't have to file a tax return to pay inflation, but we are all suffering the results of it. And it is hurting our individual lifestyles. So I think that that definitely qualifies as a, as a tax usurpation. We'll move on. We got a couple more usurpations and then we will actually uh, change course and uh, go into some resolutions for uh, for the year 2024. Uh, but I do want to cover down on a couple more that I have here. For depriving us in many cases of the benefits of a trial by jury. And this is something that folks on the left have been harping on for a while. And I think folks on the right are now starting to come around to appreciate. Uh, and this is a story from NPR. So again, hardly a far right source of news. NPR talking about the vast majority of criminal cases end in plea bargains, a new report finds. Uh, in any given year, 98% of criminal cases in federal courts end with a plea bargain, a practice that prizes efficiency over fairness and innocence, according to a new report from the American Bar Association. And again, American Bar Association is not really a uh, far right source here and along the lines of the Southern Poverty Law Center, maybe, or maybe the ACLU. Uh, but what they are highlighting here is the tendency to seek a plea bargain in federal government, 98%, so nearly all of them end with a, a guilty plea. Uh, they do that, one, because these cases are basically adopted, a lot of them from local agencies and all the investigations that have been done. Uh, but another reason, and uh, if you're so inclined, and, and Garrett and I referenced, we might be doing a book study later this year. Uh, I think one of the leaders in the clubhouse for a book study is three felonies a day, which is a little bit dated, about 15 years old. But at the same time, I think very relevant information in that book. And in that book, one of the topics is the plea deal that goes on where so many uh, defense attorneys in the federal system were prior prosecutors and before they moved to private practice. And so they're still friends with a lot of the prosecutors and they're friends with the judges. And they know that once they have you in that vice grip, the federal government has so many resources available, unlimited funds that you should just plead guilty, get the best deal you possibly can. But as a result of that, it's now empowered federal prosecutors to seek new and novel ways of going after people because they know they're going to eventually plead guilty. And those novel ways are not being adjudicated properly. They're not being publicized. Juries are not actually taking them under any sort of advisement. They're just being accepted. And the person pleads guilty, they move on. And then that becomes a best practice to go after people when, in effect, if it had actually been drawn out through a trial process and had a judge look at this new novel approach and had a jury consider it and weigh it and say, hey, is that really a just charge here? Uh, they might not have actually been able to pursue that line of prosecution and make it a best practice to go after more people. Final usurpation, though, I want to cover down on for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. Uh, obviously, that's a reference to bringing colonists back to the UK to face charges. Uh, a little bit different here, but I think there's a definite parallel to people that are being brought to the Washington, D.C. gulag for these January 6th cases, uh, where we're essentially reinterpreting the law and charging them with violating a tax law because they walked through the Capitol. Uh, and I uh, just want to play two quick videos, uh, one from Matthew Graves, the U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia where he was talking over the weekend about the January 6th prosecutions that are going on and how they're going to be expanding those as I've been cautioning over the last year. Simply being on the ground is now going to be a charge where they are happy to, uh, to bring that charge on you. And what happened inside of the building? 
an important note when it comes to our prosecutions about those who remained outside the building. We have used our prosecutorial discretion to primarily focus on those who entered the building or those who engaged in violent or corrupt conduct on capital grounds. But if a person knowingly entered the restricted area without authorization, they had already committed a federal crime. Make no mistake, thousands of people occupied an area that they were not authorized to be present in in the first place. So Matthew Gray is basically giving the game away here. He is going to, and his office is going to pursue charges with people uh, for standing on the grass outside the Capitol, even though they had no idea knowing that that was quote unquote, a restricted area. Uh, and they're going to bring you back to DC and charge you to the gulag. Uh, and another highlight story I wanted to definitely pinpoint on. And again, another shameless self-promotion was a story that I found. Uh, it was actually nearby over the weekend, January 6th, uh, arrests that went on near me. The FBI was touting this. Uh, the FBI executed three federal arrest warrants early in the morning at a ranch in Groveland, Florida, in Lake County. The subjects taken into custody were January 6th fugitives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, why was the federal government executing arrest warrants on a Saturday for alleged crimes that were committed three years ago. Uh, and I would have to assume there's been no further criminal activity that's gone on. Uh, why, why was it on Saturday? Um, because they can't wait to get them there, get them to that, that distant gulag to charge them. And they want the symbolism attached to it. Um, and I know, uh, I know friend of the show, Kyle Serafin from the Kyle Serafin show, touched on this uh, in his program on Monday. And uh, and I want to add a little bit extra note here. Uh, he wouldn't have known this, but Lake County is where the arrest happened, even though this was a Tampa division of the FBI arrest. Lake County is in the Jacksonville area of responsibility, which would mean that both offices had to coordinate in order for this to happen, which would mean that there was not an expedited fashion. This was planned out well in advance. They certainly didn't have to go there on a Saturday to arrest these guys, uh, but they did it because it was coinciding with the anniversary of January 6th, uh, which is another example of how the FBI and the Department of Justice are hardly apolitical entities at this point. All right, let's transition though, away from the usurpations. Um, but before I do that, uh, do wanna do two things on behalf of my counterpart, GOB actual Garrett O'Boyle. Uh, first and foremost, want to highlight the uh, the O'Boyle family sweatshop, uh, and that is that you can find the guys at uh, the-suspendables.com. Uh, go in there, make sure you're picking up uh, your t-shirts and your hat. I think he said he had one hat left, uh, but I encourage everybody to actually get these stickers that he that Garrett's got, especially because the one you see in the if you're watching us on Rumble, you see the uh, the picture there. He's got the suspendables badge, got the last line emblem, the suspendable or die. The the, uh, the the Substack emblem, and then the American Radicals sticker. Go ahead and get your American Radicals podcast sticker. Rock it on your, your Tumblr. Uh, put it on your fridge. Put it wherever you can. Get the word out about the American Radicals podcast. Uh, we, we are definitely uh, on the upward trend here. We're trying to reach as many people as we can every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, noon Eastern. And then I also want to do a, uh, since Garrett's not here, uh, and he is he is the the Bible expert in the relationship, and he he likes to throw out the verse here. So I will do that on his behalf. This is from Isaiah one five. Why would you yet be struck that you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. 
basically where would you yet be struck from the various usurpations that I've gone over that we might be in a situation where if we don't find a resolution soon, we might encounter a revolution. Um, so let's go over a couple of resolutions here in the, in the final portion of today's AMRAD podcast. Uh, this is actually specific to uh, medical freedom. And this is a story written at the, over at the Brownstone Institute. I will pull it up right now. 10 New Year's resolutions to restore medical freedom by Clayton J. Beck Baker, who is a medical doctor, wrote it at the very end of last year, December 30th, so just before the new year. He actually came up with 10 resolutions. Uh, I, I, there, a few of them are worth going into, uh, but I want to read from Dr. Baker's piece here a little bit. COVID-19 debacle is the defining event of the 21st century. It is at once the worst act of biological warfare in human history and the greatest mass violation of civil liberties since the Iron Curtain. Even more importantly, it is the self-evident template for the establishment of the technocratic, soft-core totalitarianism advocated by globalist entities such as the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum. I think that uh, that's really well said. It's certainly in line of, of uh, what we've been talking about here with uh, the usurpations that the colonists were experiencing in the 18th century. Uh, and then are we experiencing that now from in various forms? Certainly the medical aspect to it uh, is was highlighted in the last, well, now we're coming up on four years since the uh, the, the COVID madness, the pandemic was upon us in tw late 2019, early 2020. Uh, but Dr. Baker has a list of 10 potential resolutions that uh, he would suggest. Uh, I will highlight a few of them, and I would encourage everyone else to go to the Brownstone Institute to read about that and share this story. Uh, first one here, speak the truth about the COVID. Uh, speak the truth about COVID at every opportunity. Uh, you, again, using his language, uh, he uses COVID a lot. I don't like to. I like to say coronavirus because, again, that was a World Health Organization invention because they said that coronavirus was somehow anti- Hispanic. Uh, and I don't play that game, but speak the truth about COVID. SARS-CoV-2 is a man-made bioweapon developed through the U.S. government funding, which got out of a lab. The mRNA COVID vaccine were essentially pre-planned antidotes to that bioweapon. The lockdowns, masking, school closures, mandates, censorship, scapegoating, etc., were deliberate and illegal assaults on citizens' civil rights. Another resolution encourage and petition politicians to commit to medical freedom policies. This might be a little Pollyannish. I, mean, I don't think that I don't have, a, I'm not holding my breath on anybody at the federal government level to, to push on that maybe more than a Rob Ron Johnson from Wisconsin or Thomas Massey or Rand Paul. Uh, they've, they've certainly shown themselves to be proponents of that. Uh, but everybody else was very enthusiastically wearing the mask and saying how they were vaccinated and boosted. And even though they got coronavirus, they are still very happy to be vaccinated and boosted. Uh, I think that that really has to come at the local county level. Uh, I was part of a initiative in Collier County, Florida over the summer, uh, and that was a push to make that county a bill of rights sanctuary county. And essentially the genesis for that ordinance, which did pass, was the coronavirus lockdowns and uh, 
dictates that came from the federal government and even from the state in Florida, there were some dictates and the county wanted to secure itself, to secure its citizens, to say that if the feds came in and said, you must get vaccinated or you must shut down your non-essential business that pays for your mortgage and food for your family, you're still non-essential, you have to stay home, uh, that the county would stand in the, in the gap. And certainly in Collier County, Florida, which is home to Naples, they were able to push through that ordinance. And now should those dictates come down, the county will say, no, we're not down to cloud. We will protect you. So again, local is always the best option if you want to push back and encourage your, uh, your politicians to commit to medical freedom policies. A couple more resolutions here. Work to outlaw all gain of function research gain of function research we all because sort of became these uh familiar with the covid terms with these many scientists uh and uh there, there were actual doctors there who were, were pushing the issue uh, and i mentioned him before senator Rand paul i think this is worth a play this is him grilling dr anthony fauci one of the uh, the purveyors of the covid madness uh, let's uh, let's just give this a little brief listen I don't expect you today to admit that you approved of NIH funding for gain-of-function research in Wuhan, but your repeated denials have worn thin and a majority of Americans, frankly, don't believe you. Even the NIH now admits that EcoHealth Alliance did perform experiments in Wuhan that created viruses not found in nature that actually did gain in lethality. The facts are clear. The NIH did fund gain-of-function research in Wuhan despite your protestations. You can deny it all you want, but even the Chinese authors of the paper, in their paper, admit that viruses not found in nature were created, and yes, they gained in infectivity. Your persistent denials, though, are not simply a stain on your reputation, but are a clear and present danger to the country and to the world. As Professor Kevin Esfeldt of MIT has written, gain-of-function research looks like a gamble that civilization can't afford to risk. And yet here we are again with you steadfast in your denials. Why does it matter? Because gain-of-function research with laboratory-created viruses not found in nature could cause a pandemic even worse the next time. We're suffering today from one that has a mortality of approximately 1%. They're experimenting with viruses that have mortalities of between 15 and 50%. That was Red Paul, I think, making a very, a very good argument against gain-of-function research. Uh, I think Anthony Fauci's pushback to that was what they were doing was not really gain-of-function for one sort of word game they was making, but uh, I think we all kind of know within the spirit of it, they were provoking a virus to see if they could get it to jump from animal to human and see if they could get it to get worse. Uh, they might have had non-nefarious, non-malevolent, and they might have had benign reasons to do that. Maybe they were trying to actually get ahead of the game, get uh, some sort of a uh, vaccine prepared should that ever come to pass. Uh, but I think that uh, that I would much rather avoid that because I don't trust in these people. Certainly don't trust in the United States funding bioweapons scientists in China to do that. I don't know why, uh, why Anthony Fauci facilitated that other than uh, his own personal enrichment, uh, which is why I consistently push back that there needs to be a reckoning for people like Francis Collins, people like Anthony Fauci, who personally enriched themselves, not just in esteem and fame. Uh, they both retired to uh, lucrative deals outside of the government, but even their time in the government, they they personally profited from the, the patents that were developed under their direction, and they still have refused to give a dollar amount for what they've done. Uh, and, and the ramifications for that, uh, just the 
the profiteering off of the suffering of innocent people is gross enough uh, to not even consider the the human toll here where there's been uh, so many lives lost and so many lives ruined by what they, they brought to bear over the last four years. A couple more of the resolutions here from the Brownstone Institute. Join the fight to remove the COVID mRNA vaccine from the market. Well, I live in the great state, free state of Florida. And that is something that our Surgeon General, State Surgeon General, Joseph Latipo, pushed recently. Uh, and I, I want to highlight his statement here. Uh, on December 14th, 2023, the FDA approved a written response providing no evidence that the DNA integration assessments have been conducted to address risks outlined by the FDA themselves in 2007 based on the FDA's recognition of unique risks posed by DNA integration, the efficacy of the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines, lipid nanoparticle delivery system, and the presence of DNA fragments in these vaccines. It is essential to human health to assess the risks of contaminant DNA integration into human DNA. The FDA has provided no evidence that these risks have been assessed to ensure safety. So Joseph Latipo in Florida uh, went to bat and has now pulled the COVID mRNA vaccines off the market in this state. And that's that's one state. There certainly are, I believe, 20 states with, with uh, control of a, a governor's office and both houses of the state houses from the conservative standpoint. Uh, there needs to be a replication of that across the country. We certainly can get uh, 20 states here uh, and, and, and uh, trend it the other way so that we're not always going to be at the uh, at the whims of uh, of big pharma and then they're going to put out the next line we, we need to stop hearing about make sure you get vaccinated and boosted against the next round combine do the travis kelsey and get get your uh get your coronavirus vaccine at the same time you get your flu vaccine uh, why don't we take a step back and instead of injecting ourselves like uh like lab rats for experimental technology uh, that has no long-term studies done uh, why don't we actually do a proper study of that before we put that on people and then make the, let them make an educated decision. Don't just push. It's an emergency. You must do this. Otherwise, you hate grandma. We're not going to guilt you into that. Uh, and then one final one that I'll touch on here uh, as, a, uh, as a resolution. Uh, and I think it's actually an interesting discussion to have. Uh, and this is the, uh, the push to end uh, direct-to-consumer advertising of pharmaceuticals. And I, I mentioned Travis Kelsey, and uh, he's obviously the, the Kansas City chief who does all the vaccine commercials. Um, but according to this, this uh, report here from the University of Southern California, the U.S. and New Zealand are the only countries that allow direct-to-consumer prescription drug advertisements. If you've watched any cable TV for any length of time, right away you see the advertisement as soon as they cut to commercials where they give you uh, about 15 seconds of people frolicking around enjoying their lives. And then the, the last 20 seconds is the, the guy talking really fast and telling you what the side effects are. Uh, but we are one of only two countries that do that. And in the United States, television viewers are subjected to an especially increasing volume of drug commercials. So in 1996, almost 30 years ago, there was $550 million spent. But uh, 25 years later, it was $6.5 billion annually spent on that. Obviously, it's lucrative for the pharmaceutical companies. It's lucrative for the media and television companies that are putting it out there. And it's lucrative for the politicians who are being lobbied by these by these firms to uh, to push their 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 drugs out there. Um, and I think that that we might be able to pare that back a little bit if we were to prevent the direct advertising to 
to people. Certainly nowadays with the internet out there, it doesn't take very much more than a, a simple search engine uh, to look into potential benefits and costs of taking a drug from pharmaceutical companies. Do we need to be indoctrinated by the, by the people frolicking on our TV screens uh, that we need to take this, this next wonder drug when in effect, you know, they're, they're, it's an advertisement. They're only going to present one side of it. It's very much like the, the grand jury where you can indict a ham sandwich. The prosecutor only has to present information that's generally beneficial to a, to a case. Uh, the defense isn't there, which is why almost every grand jury brings a true bill and indicts a subject. So there's definitely a parallel there. So we've covered down on the user patients. We've covered down on some potential resolutions, uh, especially in the medical freedom sphere. Uh, what is the plumb line here? Well, I kind of touched on it a little bit. We need resolutions to avert a revolution. I certainly don't want to see that. Uh, there's a reason why in this country we hold elections every two, four, and six years. It is a way that we essentially peacefully have a civil war. We, uh, we are able to, to change the way that the government operates. Uh, it has to be something more than going to the ballot box. But the reason that we go to the school board meeting or we go to the town council or we write our congressmen, uh, we're doing any sort of activism that we can is we do those things because we're hoping to resolve our problems so we don't have to have an Antietam part two. Um, we don't have to engage in a kinetic and armed conflict with people who might oppose us on our policy preferences. Uh, my fear, though, is that as we continue to experience these usurpations, uh, they are becoming less and less sufferable. Uh, and the question then becomes, how much longer will people willingly uh, suffer those usurpations uh, before they're willing to step out of their comfort zone. And when they do step out of their comfort zone, will they do so to seek a resolution peacefully or to seek a violent revolution? I'll leave that up to you all to decide what you want to do. I certainly think that, uh, and I would highly encourage everyone to be seeking the, the most peaceful means possible to do that. Uh, but there's no question that we need to course correct here. Uh, we are certainly all experiencing these usurpations that our founders experienced over 200 years ago. Uh, and it, I, I think that at this point, it's it, you can make a, an articulable and logical case that our ancestors shot redcoats in the face for usurpations that were less than what we are experiencing. Uh, so what are we going to do? That's the question. A uh, little bit heavy today on the, uh, uh, on the messaging, uh, but I did my best. I didn't have Garrett to, to rein me in, just monologue straight on through. I hope it was valuable to you all, but I don't want to leave you on a downer. Uh, we're in a new year. You always hear new year, new me. Uh, in the chat, there was some talking about uh, what could be done uh, for New Year's resolutions. Uh, I do want to highlight one who's, I, I talked about her before, Tracy Beans. Uh, her husband, I want to give him the helm sticker, give him an attaboy uh, for what he was able to achieve last year and maybe motivate you to, to take on some resolutions in your life. Uh, let me pull up this. This was a, a, a tweet that Tracy put out uh, recently, and it was about her husband. Um, her husband's name is Will. He lost 155 pounds last year on the proper human diet. As he learned from this doctor, he, he lost 23 inches on his waist, 20 inches on his hips. He committed to the lifestyle and truthfully, the weight loss was a bonus. The way his health and well-being, both physically and mentally has improved is nothing short of stunning. The commitment he made to making himself well has been awe-inspiring. 
And if you scroll down, she actually has a photograph of Will. And you can see the physical transformation of, uh, of Will there. Uh, Tracy Beans, again, Tracy Beans' husband. It's absolutely amazing. I'm a numbers guy. Uh, and I sent her when I saw this this tweet go out there. Uh, fitness enthusiast here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, one pound of body weight is roughly 3,500 calories. So if you you have a goal, you want to lose some weight, you want to actually do it systematically, uh, you want to lose one pound per week, that would be a calorie deficit of 500 calories per day, five times seven, 3,500. You would theoretically lose one pound of body fat per week. Uh, so if, if Will did that, 155 pounds in one calendar year is essentially a calorie deficit of around 1500 calories a day. Uh, again, numbers guy, that means that our friend Will shedded a Hardee's monster thick burger every day of the year last year. That's what his commitment was to getting healthy for his, his family, for himself, and then all the congratulations to him. He deserves it. Uh, so well done, Will. Well done on keeping up on your on your resolution there to, to improve your life. Uh, and you deserve it. So that's going to be it for us today, folks. We are going to be back. Garrett's going to be back in the seat with me. Uh, we appreciate your time today. Uh, see you in the chat. You're still lively there. I, I always pull it up uh, within an hour of starting, and I'm happy to see people already viewing. It's, it's really an honor to be part of your day, and I really do appreciate that. Make sure you're following the show. Make sure that you are subscribing if you're listening later on to the podcast. Give us a like. And uh, try to share this information with the, with the other folks out there today. Again, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, and we will see you on Thursday. You've been listening to the voice of the suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod.